0: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com. That's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void word prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Brendan,
1: we have a great one today. We could have, Oh, my God. I'm, a great one. I'm so excited for this. Eliza Oman.
2: Eliza Oman? My best friend. Gets me so excited. Um, <laughs> well, I mean... Okay, so self, self-proclaimed best <laughs> friend by Jack. Jack. I mean... Best friend. Demanded best friend, really. Well... But then
1: agreed on. Sure. Definitely. Sure uh, by contract.
2: No.
1: <laughs> uh, Eliza Omen's with us. And we dive in to a lot about um King Kong, mm-hmm. Hamilton, her journey, where she came from, how she got to New York City in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I something I love about Eliza is that she's just so carefree and a human first and brings her best self into. Just this world of dance and this world of theater that we do. And she mentions it for a moment in there, just how she you know, goes to school to do something completely different mm-hmm. and then comes back and she found herself in the dance world again. And just how that has incorporated such a, I think, deeper love and respect for what we do because she has that other side that she leads with.
2: Yeah, I find I find her to be like a professional yes-ander, right? I think there's there's such a thing as like she just dives in, does it, figures out because there's no other choice. There's no other choice, um, but like just in
1: the moment, create and hope it works and like make another vision happen. If she's not like she has no control besides doing the best she can, so she works with you know Andy Blankenbuehler a lot, Hamilton, Chelsea mm-hmm. Verdon, amazing. Well,
2: what do you what, what, what do you brilliant? think? Should we just start this again from the top? Again from the top, let's do it. Boom.
0: From the top, a five, six, seven, eight,
1: Eliza Omen. Oh, man. It's Eliza. The house.
3: <laughs> Hello, I'm here.
1: Hello. Um, I just want to have a little disclaimer for Brendan because he doesn't really, you're welcome. He doesn't really know our meeting,
3: mm. how
1: we first met. And I just want to let him know because this could give him a better mindset on how this podcast could go today. We're so, okay, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Eliza and I met doing the 100-year Muni Gala, and mm-hmm. we... We're in rehearsal in New York City. We had like three days of rehearsal, but she was also doing, you were doing, you were in Hamilton at the time. Correct. And you were like, I'm busy. I can't be at rehearsal. Like, I but I'll learn it. It's fine. No, no,
3: no. I was at rehearsal. It's just, I often had to leave early because I was like, okay, I have a matinee. Thank you so much.
1: Totally. So we have our rehearsals. So we don't really get to know each other there, right? Because it's so fast. She's leaving half the time. Mm -hmm. And then we get to (laughs) (laughs) sing. She was. Shady. (laughs) no you're busy you're booked okay Uh, you have a job to do 60 tracks to learn yeah so we get to st louis um and it must have been day one of this rehearsal because we had a few days of rehearsal then we do the gala and then we kind of leave right so it was day one and it was on a break from rehearsal and if you know the media they have the giant outdoor platforms where Mm -hmm. you put the shows together so we were rehearsing on the west platform Mm. and I remember we were passing each other. I think on the ramp, I, one of us was, you know, going to get a drink of water or something. The other one was coming back to the platform, and we just kind of stopped. And I looked at her. I said, "We're going to be best friends." And then oh. we just walked away from no other, no other context, you no other knew. context. You just and knew. Was like yeah, and just we both kept walking our separate directions, and then it was like inseparable the entire time we were there. Oh my and, God. <laughs> Should, i mean that's just, just that's just to let you know where this segment could go <laughs> what a um,
2: what a what a soothsayer you were just to know that he so manifested it
3: yeah. i remember it more as like i think we're going to be best friends
2: yeah
1: yeah like, yeah, yeah both totally.
3: an affirmative statement and also a like this is what i would like from this yes, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if anyone knows eliza you know i'm not wrong that i you, do, you know like hello um but (laughs) let's be real um Mm -hmm. but (laughs) she's dying um let's get into it i love this so eliza welcome to the podcast again from the top um let's start again from the top with eliza yeah where did your dance journey path all start yeah, Where what is, she, is
2: your origin story to get into this crazy business?
3: My origin story, how fancy. Mm-hmm. It's like we're going mm-hmm. on an adventure ride.
2: This is our big Marvel question.
1: Yes, <laughs> this
3: is Wonder Woman, the prequel. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up in Parker, Colorado, which is like an hour southeast of Denver. Mm-hmm. And my sister is eight years older than me, and she danced. And obviously, I was like, I must do everything she does. However... Yep. I will disclaimer that because she'll like take credit, but I just do want to say also I was obsessed with dancing from the get and anytime there was music playing, I would just start dancing to it like in the style of music like my brother was into reggae and I would like close my eyes and like just like move my arms and like vibe to it and like like, I just loved all types of music and I always wanted to like dance to it and I rented singing in the rain on vhs from the library like Mm. vhs what is that even Um, we'll
2: have to do a disclaimer for those who (laughs) don't know what a vhs
3: tape is (laughs) um sweet my mom and i would just like renew it because no one else was renting it and they finally just like gave us the copy and i would just like watch these (laughs) because you know it's Parker, Colorado. No, no one's watching singing in the rain.
2: That's such a bell moment. Like, but you've seen it twice. <laughs> <laughs> you like it all much that it's yours.
3: <laughs> nice little small town library situation. Oh so, yeah. perfect. Um, I just like always gravitated toward dance. And it was whether it was said Cherise or like third girl from the left. Or Donald O'Connor, like it didn't matter. I just like loved dancing and I would like teach myself the dances from the old RKO films, old MGM films. Mm. And then I was dancing from the time I was three on. And I was always like a bit of a know-it-all as a kid in mm. dance class, which, you know, <laughs> shocker. She had in and making like. Shocker. Yeah. She really, uh, Queen Without a Kingdom really had to learn her boundaries of mm. like, it's not your turn yet. <laughs> it's not your turn. Also, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> no, one cares. <laughs> no one asks. No one cares. No one wants to know.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Find your
3: find your space. Um, so anyway, I would be in these dance recitals, like just coming alive on stage. I felt most at home on stage. I loved performing, and really, from the time I started at three years old, I just danced all the way through high school until I was dancing like forty hours a week, fifth grade on and going to summer intensives and then weird turn of events. I went to college and like took time off from dancing Mm -hmm. and went to school and got like a regular degree and like figured out who I was apart from dance, which I'm a big advocate of Mm -hmm. in an industry that's constantly trying to define you. There's great value, I think in knowing who you are apart from it and that this thing doesn't, is not all defining. It doesn't provide your value, so on and so forth. And that was a journey. But then I really wanted to get back into dancing and I felt really good about it. And it was like coming back into my life. So I started up again my last semester of college. I did um, the professional semester training program at Broadway Dance Center. And it transferred into my college as like, I think, nine or 12 practicum credits. And I was still enrolled in school and I was working and I got signed with an agency through that. And then it was just all of a sudden I was dancing again. And I've now I've literally not stopped since then.
1: Yeah. Now, when you were growing up, what kind of dance were you involved? Was it just at a studio taking your, you know, quote unquote, regular ballet tap jazz classes? Or were you a competitive dancer going to all those conventions every other weekend? What kind of path was that?
3: Yeah, my studio is very much a a recreational studio that has advanced dancers. Um, But my class of or maybe two classes before me was the first group of students coming up in the studio that were interested in possibly studying dance in school or not just studying dance in school, but actually like pursuing dance full-time professionally. So we were the first group that started competing and it was sort of because we had an interest and we just wanted to learn. And we didn't go to very many competitions, maybe three or four a year, but we would go to mostly competitions that had conventions attached just because my studio owner was really focused on like arts education and like Mm -hmm. in just making sure that you're not just performing for the sake of getting an adjudication and like some metal that doesn't mean anything but also really learning from people in the industry
2: it could mean everything
3: <laughs> oh i mean God. they can be really exciting my mom was <laughs> we were just i was just home like a month ago um, teaching and my mom was like what should we do with all these old trophies And i was like oh get them to the studio i don't want like why would we keep them i don't need them and she goes well there's one that i think we should keep and i was like what uh-oh. And I had gotten some special award the first time I did a solo, and it said it's Broadway bound.
2: <gasps> oh, and my mom
3: oh, was gosh. like, "We have they to do knew. that." They knew okay. Then. I mean, if oh, you were a a vibrant performer with a lot of energy on stage, I feel like every child has gotten some Broadway, sort of bound. Broadway bound special <laughs> award.
2: God, for for those, uh, including myself, I I know literally zilch about the um kind of the competition world. I was kind of like a late bloomer into this whole dance thing. So tell me the difference. And for other listeners who may not know, when you say convention, is it literally just there's kind of like master classes attached to the competition you can take?
3: So the first like convention we went to was New York City Dance Alliance, which Joe Lantieri runs. Mm-hmm. And so that's a competition and a convention. So the convention is like what a ten hour day where you might take as me- the classes could be anywhere between forty five minutes to ninety minutes depending on what the schedule is, and they're just cycling through every teacher possible. So right. depending who their faculty is. So like the first time I met Andy Blinkenbuehler was actually at New York City Dance Alliance at nationals. I was, wow. he was teaching. It was when he was choreographing the whiz at um, city center mm. and Ricky Tripp was there assisting him. And um, Joey Dowling was there because they had, were working together. They just finished in the Heights. And so she was also part of that class, but then also teaching her own. So you're just basically cycling through teachers and you'll have class all day, Saturday with competition Saturday night, and then usually class all day Sunday. And then Many of those competition conventions will also have like a scholarship portion where you learn a particular combo. Usually like Joe is the one who choreographs it at Dance Alliance and you audition it. You, you wear your number all weekend and then oh. at the end like the people that are auditioning like have their audition class and the other oh. faculty members come and watch and they score you and then it's at the end, culmination of the weekend you find out like did you get a half scholarship did you get a full scholarship are you going to nationals it's like a oh whole God. thing
1: it's so, a whole thing it really is
3: yeah oh my it's called outstanding dancer
2: <gasps> oh and, that you are that you're yeah, riv- limited <laughs> by this how I just i mean it feels it, so much like every single convention sounds like a chorus line moment of just like oh my god just the number everything
3: well you're in it's a genius. hotel ballroom so like are also this on carpet age- Yeah, you're like, or you're on the parquet, like you always know who is who in the room because some people are like, they like the parquet, like ballroom floor and they want to dance on that. Then there was me. I was like, I want the carpet. I want to be in the back of the room where no Mm -hmm. one else is. Mm -hmm. I'll see you there. Like, have all the space and I can see everything. Also, it's like less stressful energy. I don't like to be in the front of the room in an audition. I don't like to be in the front of the room in class. I like to like do my own thing.
2: And easy turns on a carpet, let's be real. Easy turns. Easy.
3: And you're easy. wearing, this is like, you know, in the 2000s. So everyone was wearing socks, some often on one foot or like mismatching socks, but one for each, often an inside out, like sweatpants situation, oh, pockets oh, pulled out as well. It was a very confusing uh-huh. time. It makes
1: me really uncomfortable to think about. Uh-huh. Oh God. I'm wearing a the one sock thing, yeah.
2: I just will never understand. And it's also like up to the knee, isn't it? It was a it was a long sock, if I'm yeah, not. Mistaken. Knee high yeah,
3: knee-high sock socks. We had a moment. <sighs> I called them snocks, but they are in fact called
2: socks. snocks.
3: Snocks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's circle back to Andy Blankenbuehler that like you just mentioned. Kind that's where you first were meeting him. So you were at Broadway Dance Center for your um s- that uh, summer intensive. The professional summer, yeah. Yes. So then. Where's that connection from when you left that to then you staying in New York and becoming a Broadway performer? What is that transition?
3: Yeah. So the semester, it was my final semester of college. So it was like January of 2013 is when I started the program at BDC. And At the time, Andy was still teaching at BDC semi-regularly, like about once or twice a week um, for like a two or three month period. And so we reconnected through that class and I came and took his class, which I was very scared to take because... It was registered as, like, an advanced class, and it was two hours. And I was like, can I still take advanced classes? Like, I haven't danced in three and a half years. Am I terrible now? Like, <laughs> what's allowed? And the program directors were like, um, I think you should definitely go to that class. Like, that's yep. a really weird choice that you're making to not. So I started going to, like, the four to six slot you know, <gasps> theater class. It was of another era.
2: Yeah, B2C prime time, Right? right?
3: Studio A. It was when it was downstairs. Ooh large column um
2: (laughs) not large column
3: that column is unbearable no i know know. (laughs) if you've never been to broadway dance center in studio a i can't wait for these people to experience it because boy is it lovely Mm. um anyway okay so i'm at bdc i'm taking andy's class and he like we were had a really good rapport during class, and afterwards we ran into each other on the street, and he said, uh, do you have your resume with you? And I was like, yeah, I do, randomly, because I just had a session that morning where we had to bring our resumes in and, like, talk about how to make it. So anyway, I, I gave him my resume, and he was like, okay, great, we'll be in touch. And then that was it. I didn't, I took his class a few more times and then he wasn't teaching at BDC and I was still doing the program. And then we didn't reconnect until I got called back in for Hamilton or called in for the first time for Hamilton in the spring of 2016. Hmm. So it was like three years and I, you know, never heard from him, nor did I expect to, like, why would I? And I, at the time I was non-equity. So also I, I couldn't get into an ECC for Hamilton. I tried to go in for it at the public. Um, I tried to go in for it at Broadway, and I, my agents weren't able to get me an appointment. And then one day I randomly got an appointment when they were looking for an immediate replacement. And I called my agents and said, I'm so down to go to this audition. Like, I love free class. But also, are you sure? Like, is this really my show? I'll go for sure. And they were like, no, casting asked for you, so you should go. I said, okay.
0: Well,
3: So then I showed up and Steph uh, Clemens and Morgan Marcel were teaching the combo that day and we did Yorktown. Um, And then Andy showed up in the middle of the session and a bunch of us had to come back in and dance just for him. And then the whole group of us danced for him. And then, you know, I went through the Andy Blinkenbuehler audition process, which is basically like a full production rehearsal day with Mm -hmm. many callbacks on many occasions. Yes. Oh, that's incredible
2: run. i mean from yeah truly from the the resume on the street outside bdc to cut to hamilton that was crazy kind of sanity.
3: some things Wait, so, happened in between that that i think probably sure, sure, a sure, little sure, bit sure, sure. but honestly not much
1: so how do you how do you get yourself into a place of coming from colorado to then f- adapting to the style of hamilton because obviously it's a contemporary hip hop feel right but what what skills did you find that led you to fit that mold
3: yeah what's really interesting about my training for my studio in Colorado is that it really is focused on like the art of dance and educating from a very like foundational standpoint and so in that way even though there are like certain tricks and things that I was I never learned and I'm now at an age where I'm not even interested in trying to learn um, <laughs> we're no longer in that phase of life um, with you. <laughs> <laughs> um but it really did help establish a desire to dance in a way that's really motivated by intention and story and artistry. And so I found that as far as my aesthetic was concerned, what I was drawn towards always sort of lived in a similar capacity. And then I think when you work professionally as well, there are just certain choreographers where you can adapt to their style and then other choreographers where you're just instantly on their wavelength. And for whatever reason, Andy's musicality has always made like perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. He understands music and he talks about seeing music and i really feel like i i feel music like he sees it in color and he talks about that a lot but the way he describes it is almost the same way that i understand it it just comes through like a different sensory system so in that way his because his material is really rooted with intention first and then the physicality follows mm. i think it made it always just made sense to me Um, and then I think because I was the type of dancer at my studio, like, and now, like I have scoliosis, like I'm not super flexible. I was never like a trick oriented dancer. And so when I, but I was always a sponge. I was always really interested in latching on to whatever people were saying and doing my best to like absorb all of that and really be a chameleon and put not necessarily my stamp on it, but be true to who I am as a mover and honor what they're, being, what they're asking of me. And so in that sense, I think that was sort of like the adaptive scale I learned growing up from working with all these different people and feeling like, well, I can't necessarily do what everyone else can do. So I just need to be really smart and really pay attention and really listen and maybe I'll absorb something else. And so I think style comes really naturally to me, um, some styles. Um, <laughs> but in general, I can like sort of, fake my way through something until I find it. Um, But yeah, really the, the material for Hamilton just always made sense to me. It like clicked really naturally, whether we were learning my shot or room where it happens or Yorktown, it just like felt right on my body.
2: What I think is so incredible is that the way you describe kind of like your approach and your, uh, your approach with Andy, your approach to kind of like any kind of dancing, it sounds as if like you, you create, a character, kind of instantly before you kind of get into the movement, uh, there there's this thing of like I can hear you say, um, you know, maybe I can't do the, like this trick like the certain person, but am but I'm gonna bring myself into the movement, and I think there's something so powerful about that because I'm, I'm the same way as far as like, I wanna know what the motivation is behind the movement. I wanna know from like an acting standpoint, why is this happening? Why can't I just walk over here this way? Why does it have to be this way? And then when you kind of unpack that, it kind of just elevates the the performance level. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I think that's that's just such a a, a nail to kind of hit on the head. I
1: think also you mentioned being able to adapt right? And I think that comes from your training growing up, training in so many different styles and seeing Mm -hmm. so many different ways of doing a process or being at conventions and just seeing everyone do their own style, that you have all of that in your head, you understand how your body moves. So you don't even have to think about, you know, half of the challenges I feel like a lot of the performers coming up are scared of, right? So when they get into an, an audition, They always ask, you know, what are the things I can do better to pick up choreography and this and that. And I think for you, having such an incredible background in training that that is like second nature, you can come in and just easily now adapt to the material instead of, okay, now I'm in tap shoes, and I gotta or whatever style it is. I think that's incredible.
3: I think it's also really valuable. This is at least what I observe in audition spaces. There's a fear to try because you don't want to try until you feel like you can do it correctly or perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I am definitely a personality type that I'm always down to try. And I'll royally mess it up if that's part of the journey to getting it right and i don't i don't feel like shame or embarrassment of that i'm really good at laughing at myself and also i just think that's an essential part of learning and i think sometimes when people feel out of their comfort zone the default is to hold your breath and to not try because you're trying to like use your brain to think through everything which is valuable you do have to take a moment to breathe and think before going crazy. But if you actually hold your breath and you don't activate the space or create an opportunity for you to do it full out and find out why it's not working, that can also be really difficult in spaces where you're doing things that are uncomfortable for you.
0: 18 plus. 18 plus. While we're on the topic
1: of Andy, I want to touch this before we go today for sure. But let's talk about Fossey Verdon because Uh, your clip in Fossey Verdon is out of this world. Oh, out of this world.
3: Thank you. All 20 seconds.
1: But they're brilliant. (laughs) Captivating 20 seconds.
3: Oh, thank you so much. That was without question one of the coolest things I've ever done.
2: I just don't even know where to begin on that. So, one how to like lock into that period just like peace and just like i feel like the legends i've heard of i mean of of that time and of that era in in actuality are just iconic and nostalgic isn't the right word but it's just this this perfect piece of time in broadway history that i think was captured so perfectly in in this whole series that i talk about kind of like the vibe on, on set and kind of within everybody of the creative team. And how do they just create that just aura, I guess is the right word for that time.
3: I mean, certainly the vibe on set was exceptional for our scene, which the whole team was there for, I don't know, we had a long shoot day, like 10 or 12 hours. Um, We got it from so many different angles, but there were, I think, a hundred extras Mm -hmm. In full period costume, in full period hair, to create the vibe of – it was called the Slapsy Maxi number because that was the club where Jack Cole's company performed. And it was all based – like that show, they did such a good job of researching. And so the number we performed was a number that they knew Gwen Verdon actually saw. Obviously, the choreography was Andy's version of that number. Mm -hmm. But it was – number where they performed to sing 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 it was four men and one woman um it was at this nightclub there was a live band and so even you know there's that full tiered stage behind us with the musicians and the colors are so vibrant and the costuming department I mean they made that dress magically because we had rehearsal on a Wednesday I had a fitting on a Thursday and then I think I had one more follow up fitting on like a Monday or Tuesday, and then we shot Wednesday. So they had an insane turnaround to make this immaculately hand dyed, hand beaded dress. Um, and then even the shoes were like hand dip dyed. They had couldn't decide if they wanted it to be red to green or green to red because of the style of the dress. So they did one on of each and put them on. And then when they saw it in the dress, they're like, "Are we crazy? Or are we just going to keep it like?" one is red to green and or purple to green and one is green to purple. And that's what they did. But there, it those are also have like hand beading done on them and they're not dance shoes. They are like actual heels <laughs> as you see in like real films, which I have a newfound respect for, because right. for one, I thought I was, I thought my feet were going to fall off by the end of the day. Um And two, it's like, I'm so spoiled now because I'm, I'm dancing like custom shoes for everything. And then those shoes I take with me from a show and then that's what I take class in. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is an entirely new experience. And they had us dancing in those shoes. Um, But anyway, like, so just that you feel so, um, you're, you feel like you're part of that time period because of like the ambiance that they created there was so much like fog and smoke from I can imagine that the haze well has as, to be. yeah wow. it was next level for sure which is hysterical because then you watch it and you're like no wonder they kept saying more smoke please yeah because you don't really see that much but it it felt like a lot oh and the guy that did my hair he was exceptional and he used to be sid Sharice's personal hairstylist. When she was doing her Broadway show, he would come and like set her pin curls. And so that at the end of the night, she could take her hair out and it would look exactly the way that she wanted it to. And so he's telling me all these stories. And I had been given the intention, like when I found out I booked the number, um, I didn't know what kind of piece it was going to be. I just knew it was called Slacksie Maxie, a nightclub number. And I think it said Jack Cole. And I was like, I don't, what's a Slapsy Maxy? <laughs> so <laughs> I was you was like,
2: Slapsy Maxy for here?
3: Yeah. yeah, I was like Googling. I was like, should I know what that is? So I was like, oh, <laughs> Google doesn't know either. Okay, it's not a step. It's not perfect, anything. Perfect, perfect. It's not a reference to something that I don't know about. Although it was, but like not in the way I was expecting. Sure.
1: sure. <laughs> <true>.
3: <laughs> so then I showed up to rehearsal and it was just me and um, Andy and we're catching up. And his assistants are there, Marianne Lamb, um, who was um, predominantly – Michelle or Sam's movement coach? I can't remember. Probably some of both. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's the two or the three of us in the studio together. And then like some of the boys start showing up and then it's like five minutes before and I'm like, I feel like more people should be here or like what's going on. And then Andy just always starts talking as though everyone knows all the information that he does and you don't know any of the information that he does. So all of a sudden I get pulled to the side and Mary's talking to me while Andy's setting the boys. And she's like, okay, so the, you are Gwen Verdon's inspiration. Like You are the reason that she decides to dance and she's going to like see herself in you. And we want this solo to really, I mean, it should feel like a Sid Charisse type of dance, but we want it to feel like you. So let's figure out what the movement is and let it feel like like you are Sid Charisse. And I thought, I will never be given this prompt again in my life. No, this not is not literally what dreams are made of. Every like three year old Eliza googly eyes watching sing in the rain is freaking out right now.
1: so then what happened? what is your mindset then? so you get that prompt right of like, here's the number, here's what we want you to do. what gonna go th- goes through your head in the sense of a performance quality added to what's gonna happen?
3: I think it puts my head into the shapes and the energetic quality that I've been absorbing for. I don't know. How old am I now? The last 26 years. Now you all know I'm 29. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It just goes into that space. You know, it's like, it's all going to be inverted. It's going to lead with um, the pelvis. It's going to have a a really seductive, sultry, laid back, but uber confident, like eyes never falter type of energy. Um, Where almost to the point of, I didn't make a mistake. You just saw it incorrectly. Um, it's that kind of performance energy. And then at the same time, also like, oh, my better be on my leg. Like my core better be engaged. My knee better be over my toes. My rotators better be activated because there's no slipping and sliding when you're, that's the prompt.
1: That's incredible detail to be thinking about. Wow.
2: But instantly like to get that prompt and also to like, Again, think, I mean, literally all that specificity of, I mean, you, you're talking about the character, you're talking about the acting going into it, and then sliding in like the technique, kind of like, not as an afterthought, but certainly as like, the technique is informed by the, uh, your your storyline and, and, and the whole through line that you're doing. And I think that's just the perfect way to approach. As you're learning
1: it, you're implementing that right away. Because I A, mean, you will have time later. But
3: trying to implement that. I wouldn't well, right. like that. that whole it. Yeah. Hour and half rehearsal.
1: <laughs> no, but it's on the forefront. Like, it's not an afterthought. So when they say, okay, where well, it's time to film it, you're not then, okay, so I have to remember, like, I have to know my eyes don't come. All of that isn't then all of a sudden clicking in. You have it from the get go. Well,
3: mm-hmm. it was so helpful, like, on set. So that number was the last number that Andy choreographed. He had actually just flown back from London because he was doing cats and he was, like, in town for the Kennedy Center honors casual. Um, So he set our number, but he had to go back to London. And so Susan Meisner, Susie was like taking over at that point to Susie. Yeah. She's the best. (laughs) I love her. But some people like are very formal when they first say her name and they're like Susan Meisner. I'm like, who are you talking about? Susie. (laughs) Um anyway, (laughs) Susie's the best. She's literally everything I want to be when I grow up. She's so cool and she's so fabulous. And she is a lady boss in life and on set and she's just extraordinary so i didn't meet her until we got on set and Brandon Bieber was assisting. He was in our rehearsal, but he was working mostly with the boys, and then all of a sudden he was on set helping us, and so Susie had been looking at our rehearsal footage, but then we're in space, and so we're sort of reworking it, and she was so great of just giving really specific directed notes of like, this is a wide shot, so this is what I need you to focus on here. This is all about eyes. This shot is from up above, so if you weren't on your leg, this is the shot to be on your leg. <laughs> specifics like that of really just nailing it down and having that type of information. And same too, like the director that day was so wonderful working with us and really clear. And we were like creating a dance with the steady cam as they're moving and rotating around us. Um, it was just, I think it all comes down to communication.
2: That was, that was uh, Jack and I's favorite uh, portion of uh, when we we're capturing something for a dance when we we're working on prom. It's uh, we love the steady cam kind of thing because it felt like you were literally like in the action and then you then have to choreograph. How are we going to keep the whole uh-huh. segment but also get the steady cam guy in there?
3: Mm-hmm
2: around all the dancers and so our favorite is um, I know it's, it's a visual aid but as they kind of like are bringing the camera through and having dancers kind of come around yeah it was just such like a new a new dance that we had to like learn and adapt because you talk about the turnaround in like TV world is incredibly fast so to be able to adapt quick and just jump in and say yes sure we can do that and done how did that kind of apply like learning that skill? How does that then apply, boom, segue, when we're getting into like becoming an associate, becoming a dance captain and doing all this stuff for like um, when we did like King Kong and things like that, when things are changing so much, especially in like preview process. So talk a little like uh, on that kind of subject of just like the diving and say like, this needs to change. Let's just do this now. And just like, woo,
3: in. yeah, I think I actually learned that skill at Radio City Mm -hmm. Because it's such a fast-paced environment, and it's so hyper-professional. And Linda Haberman was the director my first season, and she's a Bob Fosse dancer and was a dance captain for Bob Fosse and an associate for him um, setting tours. So she is so of that old-school mentality, and there's such an expectation of... Always professional, always on, never stop. We make an adjustment, you remember it immediately. If we have to go back, you will be publicly shamed for that. Like, <laughs> like a very, it's a very unhealthy, like fear motivated space, but it also you work really hard and it teaches you a lot about work ethic and a lot about pacing. And like I've n- I've never been in a space that's more time is money than Radio City. Mm. um truth so that was my first professional job i had never except for like two commercial gigs and like random tv stuff that was my first show experience right out of college and i was one of i think there were three or four of us that were brand new had never done a show anywhere of any production of radio city and we were all in new york together and it's just fast and furious and you think you're gonna get fired every day Every moment, oh, God. Um, and I just thought, I have been terrible, I'm bad at everything, and I'm generally like a fairly quick person, and I've never felt dumber. Um, but <laughs> I learned a lot in that space, and I was like, What a way okay. to start!
2: What do we just yeah. like just it out with that? Oh,
3: yeah, it was a lot, but it was also extraordinary. And Radio City is such a special venue, and mm-hmm. it's an iconic show, and there's so much history there. So, that sort of like adaptability is. It's not even asked of you. It's just demanded and expected of you. And there is no other option. And so then when I worked elsewhere, I was sort of stunned that it wasn't like that. Mm. And that there was like, a lot more generosity in the space, but also in a way like a lot more laziness because people are really casual and like, oh, I don't need to do a full out. I'll do it full out when it's the end of the day. And I also, that's like my biggest pet peeve. I'm like mm-hmm. if you're in a mark, it's called a Clark because you're still cleanly doing it. And like your core is still engaged and your arms are oh, still out. I love out.
2: that. I love a Clark. Smart a Clark.
3: Clark. <laughs> Always a Clark. There's literally never a mark. It's never helpful. At that point, no. close your eyes and listen to the music and find the musicality. Mm-hmm. Don't yes. don't create a T-Rex on stage. No yeah. one wants that.
2: We don't <gasps> want it. <We> don't. <laughs> no, I want to say a T-Rex. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, I do want a T-Rex on stage. It's my dream to wear those like T-Rex inflatable suits <gasps> and just dance. Yes. I am the target demographic for those. They, they <laughs> make me
2: <laughs> I mean, where is that in the next Radio City Christmas Spectacular, really? Just get rid of like the bears and put in... I mean, the uh, bears are
3: that. When we did Bear Day the first time, I was like sobbing, laughing in my costume. I was like, "This is the funniest thing I have ever seen." We (laughs) worked so hard. Eight hundred people auditioned for this show, and were like deemed not worthy to wear a bear costume and do grand plies, or to be like polar bear and like jumping up stage making x shapes and like giggling <laughs> with their shoulders i'm like we're getting really serious notes about like how big your shimmies are or like the angle that you're shaking your wrist i mean it's hysterical all that to say t-rex suit is my dreams no t-rex mm-hmm. arms cleanly mark adapt so <laughs> <laughs> just to retrograde that for us because I, I brought us on quite a journey and now i just like
1: what? No, it's it was a fantastic tangent journey.
2: We love a tangent journey.
1: Um so go back to t- King Kong for me. So obviously yes. we said just a few changes in that rehearsal process mm. leading to Broadway. But that choreography was so fascinating to me because it was I don't want to say oddly diverse for that show, but like I felt like there was so much happening, the sense of you had that almost like a um Showgirly type, you know, backstage dancer
3: mm-hmm.
1: realm. And then you have the moment when you're on that ship and it's almost like a contemporary ballet feel. Like, talk to us about the creation of, you know, the diverse styles in that one show and what that was like to create. Cause you guys had an extensive rehearsal period leading up to the rehearsal period.
3: Yeah, we did. <laughs> there was a lot of rehearsing. Um, Drew McConey was the director-choreographer on that show, and he comes from, like, a concert dance world. And so he really comes from a space and training of how do we let movement propel the story forward? And it can be... He had just worked with Baz Lerman, like, on Strictly Ballroom for a couple of years, and Baz had given him really interesting advice, which was saying, like... As long as you know the rules of your universe, you can create anything and anything can be true, but you just have to know what the rules of the universe are. And mm-hmm. if you know those so in and out, then you'll know the moment you're telling a lie and that the yeah. something that you've done or a decision you've made no longer aids the story or isn't true for the world you've created. And so... Drew wanted to create a show that really centered around movement, like a nonverbal form of communication because King Kong, this 2000 pound puppet that people were manipulating all over the stage is a main character and is a nonverbal character. Like everything that he does is communicated Mm -hmm. through movement and that's where his relationship with Anne really exists. And so he wanted to sort of create a space where the audience subconsciously is just used to seeing movement and using movement as a form of sort of overarching story that doesn't have to be like a paint by numbers situation, but can create the energy of a city. So, For instance, that scene you're talking about with the men on the ship, you know, we have an LED, a curved LED, which I think for a cinematic show really served um, the purpose that it was intended and it just translated so well in that space. So when you have the stage start to lift for as the ship is like leaving the docks and you watch Mm. the risers come up and then you watch New York City like leaving the harbor and going into the ocean and you see these men swaying, you're now creating sort of an energy of storytelling where the men are bringing to life the energy or the feeling and sensation of leaving something that you love, that you are passionate about, but going on this place where you know you're most at home. And like the swells of that movement and the swells in the music were sort of to sort of to invoke that idea and that energy. Whereas when we're in the New York City scenes, there's really like a grit and an aggression to the material. It's very, it's circular, but in there's sort of a hardness to the circularity. There's it's a little bit more angular. um, And it has like a pace that really never stops. And there's a lot of partnering where the women were really being manipulated by the men, which was an idea of like Andaro is this woman in the 1920s, 1930s, who is being taken advantage of by the system. And this is how people see women. This is what they expect from women. So if we're going to make her story and her energy look different, then we have to show these other women who don't necessarily have that voice and are being thrown around. And then even when they're dancing on their own, are still sort of dancing in that capacity. Versus like a showgirl scene where it is traditional and all of a sudden we are really pulled up. So the movement had like a lot of different layers and a lot of different energetic qualities that were intended for a specific purpose. And, you know, whether or not that was always successful is like the journey of any Broadway show and the journey of songs being rewritten and scenes being rewritten and producers having opinions and dancers and performers having opinions. And um, just
1: the fact that all the choreography is also based off of a puppet, like you said, yeah. that mm. ape is the movement. Like how that how that character speaks is through movement. So a lot of the choreography is not just steps for, you know, ensemble or what or whoever, but incorporating that to move this giant character slash set piece. I respectfully yeah. say, like crazy. That's crazy how that choreographer has to incorporate the element. And also, I loved. You were talking about the the ship scene, how they use the scenic design along. I just felt like everything meshed so well in that sense. And it just, you could look around and people were like, wait, are things moving? Are they not moving? Like they were so unsure. Oh yeah. Like I'm on (laughs) a ship.
3: I definitely like <laughs> I had a track in that leading up to that scene where I was like climbing up to a 20 foot riser where I was clipped in and like throwing ropes over the edge to like, like
1: my worst nightmare. Um, way, you're oh my gosh, I musicals, people stuff. for listening. She's in a musical doing that. Okay, great. Yes, this <laughs> is a musical. musical. We knew. Yeah, great.
3: Just mm-hmm. to tie that all in, in King Kong, the musical, I, we had these like 45 foot risers and I climbed like the third level. Um, so when I was up there, w- there was a day where we were teching, obviously, many days of teching. Um, and I was just up on my riser because we were holding. But while we were doing that hold, the set t- the Scenic Design team was doing something on the LED. And so they were moving it through a different feature. And I was up on my riser and I thought, they would have told me if we were flying these out right now. <gasps> Right? And <laughs> so I looked down and I was like, I think that's how far the floor normally is.
2: Oh my God. I looked
3: again at the screen and I was like, I still feel like I'm moving. But <laughs> I, no, 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 I just finally no, in no, no. my hand and I was like, hi. She oh. raises her
1: hand. She says, "I raise I'm my hand. I'm up on a 30 either. platform. Yeah, hooked in, about to throw a roast, but I'm gonna raise my hand because of a seat. Yeah,
3: okay. <laughs> I just not, I not, thinking, not
2: even saying hold. Just no.
3: excuse me. So sorry. Uh, just double checking. Are these flying out right now? Anything <laughs> like the? I mean, that LED was so trippy. It was really incredible. But it
1: worked so well with I think everything. Cool. The choreography. I mean, brilliant. So it was
3: super effective. Um, But it it was a journey to get there. I mean, that number alone, I don't know. We probably changed it like five times in studio. And then we teched it one way and then did a full re-choreograph of it again because the focus was wrong. It was more about we were like hiding the building of the ship. And actually the building Mm -hmm. of the ship was sort of like the exciting part so that the audience sees what's happening and has a second to process it before it rises. So we had to sort of fix that again. And so you just have to be game to say, okay, what's it today? You just cannot be attached to anything. And I think that's the hardest part of building a show from the ground up is that Mm -hmm. we are artists are emotional and artists love certain things and we're passionate and we Mm -hmm. have ideas. And if you're in a space that celebrates those ideas, then you can feel sometimes even a little bit more frustrated when you feel like that idea isn't being heard or isn't giving, being given a space or whatever it is. but you also have to understand like this is not the show is not my vision i am helping bring someone else's vision to life and i am the vessel that they've chosen to bring that vision to life and so yes my artistry is valued in that experience what i bring to that experience you know lives on if there's other productions but it's not about my idea and so being in a space where you know and understand that i think is really important and if you have leadership and a dance captain capacity that is able to make people feel heard and make people feel seen and valued and like affirm where they're at. Most people just want to listen, want someone to listen to them when they're processing like, what's this coming from? And they just have to know, like, I have your back. No one is sending Mm -hmm. you out there to look bad. So if you feel confused, great. What do we need to do to make you not feel confused? Mm. And how do I support you? And then you press forward from there. And so that was a show where I feel like that was really um, a great learning experience. I had just come from a show that was like, you know, a fine-tuned machine. And we'd set for national companies one way or the other, plus an international company. It's like we knew the best way to do everything. Mm -hmm. And Radio City, although ever adjusting is a show that's been around for 100 years almost. So like this was my first time building something from the ground up and it really can be anything you want it to be, and which is exciting, but also limitless opportunity can also feel paralyzing. Mm-hmm. And so everyone responds to that in different ways. And you just have to say, okay, what's next? What's it today? Yesterday was yesterday. What do we do now?
2: And I think the phrase that, that I heard at the beginning of um, the entire – story is still ringing and ringing and ringing in me is is the uh when you understand the universe that you're kind of creating and you know all the rules then you then there's no way you can kind of like get it wrong so when you say like there's this huge kind of canvas you can paint anything on it right but even that feeling kind of like oh my god overwhelming which road do i take you know yeah but if you create that universe it's almost like well it doesn't matter what i do first because as long as i'm in the rules and i'm not not lying. And so yeah. by getting that story out, I think that's such a perfect way to kind of like do it. I think there's a fun way to do like two truths and a lie in like pre-pro of just like, all right, yeah. here's like three options. Now find the lie that's like, doesn't help the story, Absolutely. even if it's like the most fun step, you mm-hmm. know? But I think it's just, and, and the ability to kind of zoom out is kind of the way I think of it when you're talking to somebody, if you're a dance captain in that position and you're like, just like, hear their problem, but like help them to kind of zoom out and see the whole picture and realize, oh right, okay. So that's why. Okay, cool, google. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
3: you. Yeah. And also that your any note you're giving someone is to make them the best version of themselves on stage.
0: Mm-hmm. And so that Correct. the
3: show is really great, but also so that they're really great. Mm-hmm. And I think I've I had never closed a show before. And so our closing night was actually the most exhilarating show because for the first time you see everyone on stage dancing and performing in a way that is true to the story but also really generous with every single person on stage and it's not for the audience and it's not to prove anything to anyone it's really to celebrate the experience and just take it in and you think wow when it's like this it's so good and you just wish like how do you, how do we find that and always maintain that that's you know the difference, what we're talking about with like film, it's really easy. Cause it's like, you just have to get it for the one shot and everyone's inherently mm-hmm. narcissistic. So they're like, I must be in the shot. So they're giving it their all. But then for Broadway, you're like, okay, I have to get the same thing from you eight times a week and you're tired and it's the sixth show and you didn't sleep well last, like there's just so many things. And so it's just an interesting journey, but I love that idea of like the pre-pro process of find the Find the lie and getting everyone in that space together of like understanding the universe.
2: That's so good. Eliza's like watch, it. she's like watching the closing night of King Kong, just like polishing up everyone's like Broadway-bound trophies for when <laughs> she can give them all out afterwards, be like, you made, you made it. You
1: made it. between
3: numbers. I'm like, I'm done with like, that quick change early. Polish, polish.
2: <laughs> you are a Broadway bound.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so Eliza, one thing we ask everyone um as we depart the podcast with them is we call this our should have shot it" moment so this is a moment we had in los angeles when we were filming the prom movie and meryl streep was filming the song not about me she does this incredible number all the way through lighting sound everything backgrounds there everything it ends in a blackout and she yells should have shot it in the middle of this blackout and it was just, it was a rehearsal because she was just showing an idea, but it was incredible. So we have a segment called Shoulda Shot It. Shoulda
0: Shot It!
1: Yeah, hold for sound (laughs) cue.
0: Um, amazing.
1: And we want to know what's a moment in your life, career, anything that you wish could have and should have been captured forever?
3: I mean, there's so, Could have been like an incredible moment
1: in rehearsal or yeah. That's what I'm
3: saying. I'm like that idea, which is brilliant that Meryl said it is like, there are many times where I've been on set and they just secretly are filming. They're like, Mm. this is a rehearsal, but they're filming because you just never know what's going to happen and what you'll catch then. And I think that's a brilliant tool and people should always do that. Not that you should, but you really should always like, if you have access, you should always be shooting. Um, I think for me, actually, I know exactly what it is. Um, When we were doing our very first um, preview of Six. So it's like the first night we have the audience that's been waiting to be in that room for months. They're so electric. We have a bunch of Broadway debuts on stage. I'm sitting next to the choreographer in the front row of the Mez. This will be her choreographic Broadway debut. Um, It's just a huge moment for this. The show is like, you know, the little engine that could like totally. it just never was meant to be the sensation that it has become and yet it always was meant to be that because it wasn't meant to be that you know mm-hmm. um so we had this moment in the final number of the show where the lights pop up there's a, a riff that the girls are doing that builds the song just gets really explosive the girls charge forward and then the lights shine it feels like you're at a concert and they're like pumping their hands out but the whole audience you could feel the pulse rise in the entire space of, you know, 1300 people. And they start doing the thing that the choreographer hopes, which is like, the girls are waving their arms and the audience is supposed to join in that moment, just like a concert. And you feel that whole space, like because of the way they did the lighting, the girls energy as they're charging forward, it starts. And we just watched, you know, 13, 1400 people raise their arms up and start doing it with them. And it was like, so magical. I've just never had a live theater experience that I can really put into words and that, uh, in the same way, I don't think anything has really ever compared to it. And again, with just the most humble team behind that production, um, and a show that centers around like joy and positivity. And it's just, shoulda shot it because no shoulda one should know and feel what that is. And then after the number, it was like explosive applause. Like they, the girls couldn't come in for their Final thing because it, the applause break lasted for like two minutes,
1: and I'm sure just like you said Ugh. with that lighting, how it was, it's even more incredible because you can really see everyone next to you. It's not just like all yeah. oh, the stage lights are on stage and you can kind of get that glow. It's like no, the lights are on you, and you can look around and it's yeah, it, totally. it's a Super
3: Bowl moment where you, the lights are just like into the entire stadium. Like it was oh, exceptional. Yeah.
1: That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, is- oh jinx! Jinx! got him well we have to have her back on to talk about six when you guys are up and running again absolutely absolutely and then also we got to talk a little bit about carly ray Jepsen next time you're here too oh. we got to flash it back <laughs> yes. to that to, to leave the people with something we'll come back to that for sure <laughs> well eliza thank you so much for being here with us you are the best And um,
3: mm-hmm. of course bestie. i would never miss it
1: Every email and text, I would say, hey, best friend, and then I go with my text from there.
2: Just oh. really making sure that it's just like, just a reminder, I am your best friend. Okay, now on to the business.
3: Jack saved his himself in my phone as Jack Sipple, and then where it says company, it says best friend.
2: Best friend. Wow. And he chose the photo. How much are you paying him? If, if, if best friend is a company?
3: <laughs> with love and affection.
2: Ah, of course, of course, of course, All I need. of course, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for thanks for starting again at the top with us all right
3: happy to be here thanks for having me you guys
2: Hey, it's Brendan. Hey, it's Jack. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Be sure to hop on over to our
1: Instagram at again underscore podcast and give us a follow. A like. A comment. A DM. Because we want to hear from you.
2: Let us know how we're doing. Sure. Sure.
1: Sure. And before you press next to play your next podcast. Hopefully it's us again. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And give us a rating if you love what you're hearing. Again from the top is produced by Dory Berenstein. And Alan Seals. Stay tuned for our next
0: 5678. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Slithlin. This is Sarah Borellis. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.